It's time to go under the hood with the Indy Fuel. Welcome to another look under the hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. It's August 2019, which means we are less than two months away from dropping the puck on the 2019-20 season as training camps will commence in late September. And before you know it, that October 4th preseason opener against the Cincinnati Cyclones will be upon us. Head coach Doug Christensen continues to fill out the roster. Since we were last with you, he has added two new players, one of which is a familiar face to the fuel. Matt Rupert, 22 goals and 43 points in 69 games last year. He ranks second in fuel history in goals and points over his career as he has 62 goals and 120 points. He's also second old time in fuel games played with 212, 42 behind longtime captain Zach Miskovic. So Matt will be back for his fourth season with the fuel this year. And he is the first of the four allotted veterans to sign for the 2019-20 season. Also, Jack Jenkins from Notre Dame, a forward signed earlier this summer. 13 points in 40 games last season for the Fighting Irish. He is a native of the Chicago area, and he played the national championship game a couple of years ago for Notre Dame and has been a key part of their success in South Bend. So as the roster stands right now, the few will have eight players signed to ECHL contracts, Matt Rupert being the one veteran couple of rookies, Carl Elmir, Brendan Warren, and Jack Jenkins, as well as Joe Sullivan, who will be a second-year player who played for the Manchester Monarchs last season. On defense, Tim Shoup and Sam Tebow, a returning player for the Fuel, are the two defensemen who have been signed, and the Fuel have also signed goaltender Charles Williams, who played last season for the Manchester Monarchs, to an ECHL contract. Add to that the number of players the Fuel will be getting from the Rockford Ice Hogs and the Chicago Blackhawks, and the foundation for a successful season is set. As well, head coach Doug Christensen rounding out the coaching staff. Andy Contois is the Fuel's new assistant coach. A graduate of Northern Michigan University, played four years of hockey there. He is a veteran of 177 ECHL games and also played in the Central Hockey League in 2011, where he won the Miran Cup with the Bossier Shreveport Mudbucks. He's played in the ECHL for the Idaho Steelheads, the team formerly known as the Gwinnett Gladiators, now the Atlanta Gladiators, the Stockton Thunder, the Mississippi Seawolves, and the Johnstown Chiefs in the ECHL, has coached the last couple of seasons in the United States Hockey League in junior hockey and before that coached two seasons in the North American Hockey League has also played in a number of places in Europe so he's got a lot of hockey experience both as a coach and as a player both here in the states here in North America and around the world so Andy Contois will be joining Doug Christensen as the Indy Fuels coaching staff for this upcoming season. I like the roster that's being put together. You've got a couple of experienced coaches with a lot of connections, not just in pro hockey here in North America, but also in Europe and in junior hockey as well, which will really be critical as the few will look to recruit players going forward and build a championship roster. And of course, the Indiana State Fair going on. Those two were at the Dairy Barn last week out serving all kinds of delicious treats and if you stop by the indiana state fair 
you'll likely see some fuel personnel hanging around and enjoying the fair just like you. So stop by the Indiana State Fair this week. Of course, there's still time to buy your season tickets prior to the preseason opener on October 4th and the regular season opening night on October 25th, both against the Cincinnati Cyclones. 317-925-FUEL or visit IndieFuelHockey.com to get your season tickets and secure your seats for the 2019-20 season. This is the 20th anniversary of one of Indianapolis' nine hockey championship seasons, the 1999-2000 Indianapolis Ice. They had a tremendously interesting year. They were an expansion team, and head coach Rod Davidson came in, built the roster, and it kind of treaded water for the first couple of months of the season. But when New Year's Day hit, they caught fire and ended up rolling all the way to the Miran Cup Championship, knocking off the Columbus Cottonmouths in seven games. One of the owners of that team was Jim Hallett, the current Indy Fuel owner. And it was a special team, a special time. We've had a number of familiar faces who have remained in the area. Mike Berger was the first big signing, and he has, of course, remained active in a hockey and has been active with the Fuel and the Junior Fuel as well. Um, Bernie John, former Indy Fuel head coach, was an anchor on defense. Uh, Ken Boone's still been around uh, Indianapolis and doing some things. Jamie Morris has remained in the city. He was the playoff MVP that year. As well, Chris McKenzie and Ivan Corbin, the two leading scorers. The next year, Ivan Corbin ended up scoring 75 goals and breaking the Central Hockey League record. So a really special time going back 20 years to the beginning of the Indianapolis Ice's run in the Central Hockey League. That began with a championship season. Rod Davidson was the head coach of that team. And Rod has kept ties here in Indy. We often see him Stop by the Indiana Farmers Coliseum a couple of times a year for Indy Fuel games. He remains active in hockey. He coached in the Federal Hockey League last year just up the road in Danville, Illinois, and is currently helping build youth hockey in Biloxi, Mississippi, a former ECHL market. Rod has an interesting story. He's always great to chat with. A fan favorite during his time here in Indianapolis, and it is my pleasure to share with you my conversation with Rod Davidson, our guest on this week's edition of Under the Hood. Rod, uh, first of all, thanks for joining us, and uh, just catch us up on what you're doing now and uh, what you're doing uh, in the hockey world. Andrew, um, the past few seasons, I've been working out of Biloxi, Mississippi, and uh, they used to have pro hockey down there, and uh, they don't have a team the last few years. And a group brought me down there trying to uh, rediscover the pro hockey market. And a natural fit would be the Southern Pro Hockey League, uh, proximity to teams like Pensacola and uh, Birmingham, Alabama. And... Um, it's a, a shortened season uh, because they don't have a pro hockey team. So they only put the ice in uh, for about 10 weeks. They have a commitment to Disney on ice, which is their major commitment. And uh, we've kept the youth program uh, going because, as you know, if you have pro hockey in a town, you need some hockey infrastructure. 
and it was currently in place. So we've just continued to try and add to that. And at the same time, uh, something that's very popular down there is public skating. And uh, I work the public skating for the Coliseum and it's administering, you know, looking after the skates and the skate room and sharpening skates and, and keeping things up to date, put together a volunteer staff. And we put a lot of people through the turnstile and uh, the Coliseum seems pretty happy about that. So I'm hoping to go back and continue with that uh, because it's a short season. Uh, last year, I got a call from a team in the Federal Hockey League up in Danville, Illinois. Uh, the captain there was running things because they had let the coach go. And he said, you know, we'd love to have you come and finish the season. So I went there and finished the second half of the season for the team. I uh, had a lot of fun. And the Federal League, um, they're doing well. They're expanding quite rapidly again. Uh, they were a six-team league the last couple of years, and this year they're going to be a ten-team league. Your work in Biloxi, what is it like trying to, and the joy you get out of not just doing the public skating, but also uh, helping with youth hockey and a non-traditional market and Introducing the game to uh, a lot of new people who maybe hadn't been exposed to hockey before. Yeah, and you know it, what really works well down there is there's a bunch of transplants from the north. Uh, some people have moved down from Minnesota, uh, from Pittsburgh. There's a, a few Canadians down there that like to keep their, um, you know, their fingers in hockey. Um, there's a group of um, uh, older players that play pickup hockey, adult style pickup hockey, twice a week, Wednesday nights and Sundays. So they continue to have a presence down there. Uh, with the youth program, uh, we have a, a lot of equipment that we can supply because you know hockey can be expensive. Uh, not only is it uh, expensive to rent the ice, but uh, equipment and skates and things of that nature. And we encourage the parents where we can to try and get their own skates and their own helmet and their own hockey stick. But uh, we have uh, quite a supply of equipment that's kind of been reconditioned and we try to keep it up and, and try to wash it each year so the, the people down there can uh, get into the game with less expense. Um, there's a real enthusiasm for the game, as you know, because it's growing so rapidly in America. Uh, the success of the USA Hockey, uh, the U.S. National Development Team, uh, USA Hockey has really uh, come a long way, and it's uh, it's a matter of time until they're the best in the world. You mentioned coaching in Danville last year in the Federal Hockey League. What did it mean to you to get back behind the bench? What was that like uh, getting back uh, behind the bench and coaching at the professional level? And you said you had a lot of fun. Uh, uh, what was kind of, what was your favorite thing about it? Uh, you know, it, the, the thing that you miss about hockey is probably the routine and the guys. Um, you know, I, I used to tell people that uh, the players keep you young because physically you, you're on the ice and you're still skating and 
and doing uh, a routine like that. But more than anything, they keep you sharp mentally because they're, they're you know, they're, they're um, always pulling pranks on each other and trying to involve the coach. And, you know, I pride myself in, in being a player's coach. Uh, I like to have fun with the players um, understanding I'm still the coach and I'm responsible. I don't hang out with them, but when we have our valuable time at practice each day or when we travel as a unit, um, you, you just interact with them and you, you show a lot of support for what they're doing and what they're, they're trying to advance their careers. And I've been lucky enough to, uh, keep up with people in hockey at higher levels. And where I can, I recommend that these guys get an opportunity. And um, we had some player movement last year to um, uh, the Southern Pro Hockey League. Uh, I think one player ended up a few games in the ECHL. And uh, that's really remarkable with the number of players that move up each year. And uh, that's the most enjoyable part is seeing these guys, what they can achieve and uh, how much they'll sacrifice to continue playing hockey. You do come to Indy uh, a little bit. What are your impressions of the Fuel franchise and the newly renovated Coliseum? And uh, what are your impressions when you come to Indy? Well, uh, number one, the, the, the renovation to the Coliseum is just outstanding. And uh, I, I tell people in, in town even if you're not a hockey fan, you should go and enjoy the experience in that building. Uh, it's, it's just first class. They've got everything they need. Uh, as you know, they were over 9,000 seats and now it's around 6,500 if I'm not mistaken. And it's just a, a better viewing area um, and a great experience. And I'm so pleased that hockey continues at the pro level. And Jim Hallett, you got to give him a lot of credit. You know, uh, Jim's a good owner. Uh, Jim has a great passion for the game. I have a lot of respect for Jim. I, I think he's a terrific guy. And the fact that he's keeping hockey in Indianapolis, I, I wish we could make it um, um, a bigger experience for people. Uh, the people that do come out that are dedicated, I think it's terrific. I really think that building should be enjoying crowds of up five, six thousand a night. In the latter part of last season, that seemed to be the case almost every night, and it was an incredible atmosphere, uh, game in and game out. And you came to Indianapolis uh, twenty years ago in nineteen ninety nine, essentially to launch the Central Hockey League team as their first coach. What brought you to Indy and? Uh, what was it like trying to put together a team that was essentially a put together from scratch? Well, first of all, um, how it happened was at the NHL draft that I normally attend uh, each June and, uh, you know, I have a lot of connections there. And Bruce Cassidy was a fellow that I knew quite well. And Bruce said to me that he was leaving Indianapolis and uh, recommended I contact him and uh, get a hold of Brad Berry, the general manager. And I did, and uh, nothing happened uh, the first go-round. 
And then Brad and I talked uh, maybe the middle of August, and uh, time was marching on to a new season for a new team. And he had some thoughts um, of maybe bringing me in to be like a recruiter and maybe an assistant coach. And then uh, after sending back my resume and my references, he called me one day and said, you know, I contacted your references and they, to a man, they've all suggested we hire you as our head coach. How would you feel about that? And I said, I'd love the challenge. And uh, by the way, anybody I put on my reference list, I knew they were only going to give me good re- recommendations. <laughs> so we we kind of chuckled about that. And uh, uh, thanks to Brad, he gave me the opportunity. And when I came in there, uh, because I had been coaching in a, at that level, I knew a bunch of the players in different leagues that I thought would be a good fit. And the first player that came to mind was Mike Berger. And Mike had been playing in Tulsa for quite a while and retired from the game. But I had encountered uh, Mike many years earlier in the Colonial Hockey League, and he was quite a force. And, uh, you know, a player who grew up with the game in Western Canada, uh, played early in his career in the National Hockey League, and... I had to convince him to come out of retirement and get the blessings of the Tulsa Oilers and told Mike we were going to have a good thing in Indy and uh, new ownership and a great front office. And he bought into it, and he was our first signing. And one of the reasons I really wanted Mike, besides his playing ability, he came from the Central Hockey League, and he could tell me kind of the ins and outs of the league. And yeah, knowing the league is so, so important, especially in that era, because there were so many different leagues. There were essentially five different leagues all operating at what we call the double A level today. And did that make player recruitment a little bit easier because you could pull a guy from the West Coast Hockey League or from the WPHL that didn't have that essentially his rights weren't controlled by a team in the Central Hockey League and you could pull a roster together? Yeah, that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it began with, um, after Mike Berger, um, my first target was Chris McKenzie. I had coached in the Western Pro Hockey League the previous year and competed against Chris, who was with uh, the Shreveport Mudbugs, and they were the league champions. And he was the number one player that I wanted to get. And uh, you saw the results. I mean, Chris was just such a great athlete and just such a great hockey player. And uh, we were able to convince him to come to Indy. Um, Brad did a nice job of talking to him about the city and about the new ownership group. And, um, you know, along came a a friend of mine, Bernie John. And Bernie was playing in uh, the United Hockey League up in Port Huron. And I was able to convince him to come to Indy. And um, Brad Berry said to me, he said, you know, I I looked up Bernie John's stats, and are you sure he's the guy? And I said, well, you know, in my estimation, Brad, uh, Bernie John's a all-star level hockey player. 
but a first-class person. He's a better person than he is a hockey player. So he's one of my guys. And and then uh, we were lucky enough to get um, Evan Corbin. Um, my friends with the Chicago Wolves had him uh, coming to their camp, and I was close with uh, Kevin Dayoff, the uh, general manager up there, and Johnny Anderson, the coach. And Johnny recommended Yvonne um, to me, saying that this guy uh, is a scoring machine. And if he doesn't make the Chicago Wolves, we'd like to have him close by. So um, I attended their training camp, uh, made a relationship with Yvonne, and uh, he came and you saw the results of that. He was a top scorer, an MVP, and um, a good citizen. That championship team, it really, you kind of struggled out of the gate, I think, just developing chemistry and and uh, kind of getting those pieces to fit together. But right around the turn of the calendar to the new year in 2000, your team caught fire and Really, that run continued until you were uh, hoisting a championship trophy in Columbus, Georgia, uh, later on that spring. What was it about that team that was so special and um, turned it into an opportunity to win a championship? You know, uh, strange things happen along the way. Uh, Our Christmas break was prior to Christmas. And we had a game uh, Christmas Day uh, or Christmas night in Memphis. So I made a deal with the players and let them go home for a number of days. And I said, the only requirement I have is you be on the bus at 7 a.m. December 25th. We're leaving for Memphis. We'll make a day trip on the sleeper bus and we'll play the game at night. And, um, you know, I trust you to go home and, and uh, enjoy your family and come back early. <clears throat> well, we get on the bus in the morning, and lo and behold, four players didn't make it. And uh, we're rolling down the highway, and uh, one of the teammates says to me, well, Coach, I don't know if you understand, but they're not coming back. And uh, I said, Lake, what do you mean? And he said, well, they've left the team, and they're going to, uh, one player, Stephen Toll, was going to the National Lacrosse League uh, to play for the Toronto Rock, and he was a, a great uh, box lacrosse um, player. And he was going on to play in the National Lacrosse League and didn't tell me, and I just said, gee, I wish I had a heads up on this kind of stuff. So I phoned Bradbury as we're rolling down the highway, and I told him, and uh, he was quite upset. And um, I said, you know, Brad, I, I guess the positive is better now than in February. <laughs> so we get on the phone and uh, we're able to uh, to get one player to meet us in Memphis, uh, Daniel Villeneuve, who was living down in Fort Worth, Texas. We put him on a plane and he showed up for game night. And he said to me on the phone, he said, the only way I'll show up, coach, is if you guarantee I'll be with the team for the balance of the year. And I turned to Mike Berger, who had recommended him, and, and Mike said, you're really going to appreciate Billy. He's he's a pest, and he really goes after the star players in the other team and gets under their skin. And um, 
then we were able to pick up a couple other good players recommended to us. And it, it just, it, it became a fit and, uh, you know, better to be lucky than good at some time in your life. <laughs> the thing about that team that really stood out, obviously you mentioned Bernie John, Mike Berger, Van Corbin, Chris McKenzie were all real cornerstones of your team, but the depth, Dan Villeneuve on uh, the uh, on the blue line as the year went on, the Yas brothers, Blas Emershek, uh really came on the latter part of the year, and then uh, obviously, uh, you know, the performance of Jamie Morris in the playoffs is uh, as good of a goaltending performance as as we've seen. You, you need great goaltending, but how important was developing that depth as the year went on? toward your ability to get through the playoffs and win a title? Well, you know, um, I've always had a theory when you bring a new guy in, you try to put him in a place to be successful. We were able to make the trade to get Peter Yoss's brother, Jan. And Jan Yoss was a real talent and a rookie. And we were able to convince Macon that uh, we had a player that they wanted and we wanted Yanni. <clears throat> Excuse me. He came in put him on the first line with Chris McKenzie and, and Corbin and just so much success playing with those two guys. And he was a, a great fit and it just, uh, it gave us um, a new weapon because of his skating ability and his speed. And then we got this, this lead on this Blage Emersek who was over in Peoria in the East coast hockey league. And Donnie Granado was coaching over there. And Donnie said, you know, I'm not going to have a, a place for this young guy because I have some depth. Would you be interested in him? And I said, of course. So he came over and immediately we put him on the first line with Mackenzie and Corbin. Put Yanni Yas on right wing with Peter Yas and uh, um, made that good second line go. And uh, Blage enjoyed success playing with Mackenzie and Corbin. And then uh, Yanni really blossomed uh, playing right wing uh, as a left-hand shot on his off wing and gave us just two of the most dynamic lines in the league. And it really worked well. And our third line was really kind of made up guys that banged and crashed and were very physical and intimidating and, um, um, you, you know, we had a good mix. We had talent, we had size, we had some toughness. We had a really solid defense core. Um, and our goaltending stood the test of time. And then with the advent of Jamie Morris, just, uh, catching stride and, and what he did for us in the playoffs and became the playoff MVP and, as you mentioned, you can't have any success without good goaltending. The following season, uh, in 2001, you uh, had a, really an all-time individual performance in Ivan Corbin scoring 75 goals. And What was it like as a coach to be a part of that and the year he had, uh, and he had 50 and I think 37 games and then uh, obviously setting the league scoring record? You know, uh, I was so pleased for, for Ivan because, um, 
he had said to me the first year, he said, you know, I've never enjoyed this success before, Coach. I've scored 60 goals in the West Coast Hockey League, but uh, I've never really won anything, and I, I like what I see here. So um, we got his confidence. Uh, he enjoyed his teammates. He, 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 he had a quiet leadership role on the team. Uh, he was a good athlete. You know, I used to tell people at, at the IHL, you know, you should look at this guy because he really is a quality person and he can play. And uh, I said, but you, what, the only way you're going to get him is to really treat him properly and give him a couple-year contract and give him the opportunity to play at that level and give him the backing, not bring him up for five or ten games on a, an experiment because – that's not going to wash with him. He's He's been around hockey, and he deserves better. And as a matter of fact, I called one of my close friends in the National Hockey League, and I said, you know, this guy really needs to have somebody look at him. And he trusted my judgment. And uh, about a month later, he called me back and said, you know, our scouts really don't like him because all he can do is score goals. And uh, uh, I was just perplexed by that. I mean, everybody needs goal scoring. <laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't trying to tell him he's an NHL hockey player. I was trying to tell him he's a prospect that if you give him the uh, the proper environment and uh, the proper coaching, he might turn out and uh, be a National Hockey League star. Who knows? But it never worked out. And then... That frustrated uh, Corbin, and what happened with him was um, he decided to go to Europe, and, and I thought that was a little bit of a mistake for his career path, but uh, uh, the money was good, the experience, and uh, away he went. That first year you came to Indy, you essentially had to – sell the fan base on a new league. They'd been in the International Hockey League for 11 years, new opponents, new players, essentially starting from scratch. How did you do that? And really, how quickly did the fans really catch on and embrace that team that you had? Well, you know, I enjoy the media. Um, you know, you have to have a friendship with the media and, um, Jason Berkman does such a great job as a PR guy. Uh, you know, Jason, of course, uh, in, in the future became much greater than just a public relations guy and, and a stats guy. And he did such a great job of getting us connected with the media, um, built a real good friendship with, uh, Philip B. Wilson, our beat writer from the Indy star. Uh, he treated us wonderful. He gave us a, you know, a, a good backing. He was a Detroit Red Wing fan. Uh, he loved hockey. And uh, him and Berkman had a good relationship. Uh, Brad Berry really did a tremendous job as, as leading the organization in the community. Had a good staff, had good corporate people, had good ticket people. Um, so th there was a base for success. The media played a good part the fact that we became a better product and became a, a team that started to win more. Uh, I, I think that's important. I think you see that with the fuel, uh, the more success they're going to have, 
on the ice is going to help them off off the ice. And we mentioned recently you've been in uh, Biloxi and you've been coaching in the Federal Hockey League. Uh, you've also had a number of other stops. And one of the things I think was interesting is the All-American Hockey League uh, named its championship trophy for you. How special was that to uh, receive that honor from that league and and uh, what that meant to you to, uh, uh, to be recognized in that way? You know, I was really humbled by that. Um, I tried to convince the um, the board of directors not to go in that direction and just make it like a commissioner's trophy or something along that line. But, uh, you know, they, they chose to do it uh, their way, and it was quite an honor, really. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's too bad the league just didn't continue on. Uh, we had a nice model, which is kind of what the federal league is doing now. Um we had a little bit tighter footprint that made the travel and the expense uh, a little better. Uh, the Federal League has a bigger footprint, and they're doing a good job. But they're they're stretching from, you know, Watertown, New York, all the way down now to Columbus, Georgia, uh, over to Danville, Illinois, um, over to Elmira, New York. Now Danbury, Connecticut, come back in. So. They've got some travel issues, but uh, they're doing a good thing because they play fewer games than the ECHL. They play a 56-game schedule, so they're uh, weekend hockey, and uh, they're doing a good thing giving uh, players a chance to grow, uh, get involved in pro hockey after junior and college, and develop along the way. You're a native of Brantford, Ontario, and you're spending your summers there as well. Obviously, uh, Brantford is probably best known as the hometown of Wayne Gretzky. What kind of a uh, what kind of pride do people in Brantford take of uh, being uh, Wayne's birthplace and uh, and Wayne's hometown? And what impact does he have in the community? You know, Wayne doesn't spend a lot of time here anymore. His, his uh, dad is still alive. Uh, he's the most famous father in hockey, Walter Gretzky. Does a great job all over the, the hockey world. Um, really gives back in youth hockey. Um, Wayne's brothers are, are based out of Brantford. Uh, so the family is here and his sister. Um, Wayne comes back very quietly because he's a, a very popular guy when he's in town and, and uh, he gets inundated with requests. So he kind of comes into town uh, uh, anonymously and uh, does some good things and then leaves. Um, you know, he's involved in so many businesses and then with Dustin Johnson uh, on the PGA Tour being involved with his daughter. Uh, you know, Wayne attends a lot of those events, but... You know, there's Wayne Gretzky Parkway. Uh, the the main arena that people play out of is the the Gretzky Center. It's a a four ice pad, um, you know, sixty two million dollar facility, and uh, youth hockey. They have the the uh, uh, Walter Gretzky uh, annual Christmas tournament uh, for youth hockey, and that's big. So the Gretzky name, I mean. Uh, you know how famous a, a person he is, how great an athlete he was, and and 
more than anything, <clears throat> Wayne as an ambassador, I mean, it was, he was just outstanding, that the job that he did as an ambassador for the game of hockey. In Indy and also at Alexandria, before you came to Indy, you had the opportunity to coach your son, Rob. What was it like to be able to uh, have your son around, and how is Rob doing today? Well, he's doing real well. You know, we we had a small family business up here that I was able to um, to keep over the years and had a management team looking after it. And, uh, you know, Rob had a, a, a little bit of success playing junior hockey in Canada. Um, came down to us, uh, he was in Baton Rouge uh, in the ECHL. Um, and things weren't working out there. And, and the coach, Bob McGill, who I knew, Bob called me one day and said he was going to send a couple players our way. And um, he said, you know, we're not going to keep your son. So I said, well, you know, get him to jump in with one of the guys and get a ride over here. <clears throat> Excuse me. And he was skating with us for a number of weeks. And our captain went to our ownership group and said, you know, coach has got a guy here that can help us. He's got size, he's young, he can play some forward, he can play some defense, but he won't sign him because it's his son. And uh, we want you guys to do something about that. So they came to me and uh, Chris Roy Jr., one of the, the owners, one of the management team, he came to me and said, you know, Rod, we know you need another player. We'd like you to sign your son and give him the opportunity. So that's really how it evolved there. And uh, in the second half of the year, he played pretty good for us. And, and uh, you know, size is something you always need. So when I went to Indy, uh, I brought along a few players from that team. You know, Eric Landry, who was, a, you know, a rugged competitor and uh, a real personality. And uh, Benny T. Bear, our goalie down in Alexandria, brought him to Indianapolis. Um uh, Dave Jeslowski down the road eventually joined us a couple of years later. But, uh, you know, we brought some players up from down there and they fit in. And it, it was really enjoyable to have Rob around. Um, I, I don't know if I was tougher on him than another coach would be. I'm not sure. But uh, the front office was really good. You know, they... Uh, they had him at a lot of school events. He did a lot of things in the community. And uh, the one year, as a matter of fact, he was up for uh, man of the year in the CHL. And he was a finalist for that award uh, because he did some good things in the community. And yeah, I'm proud of the, the fact that he was with us. Uh, my good friend, Doug Reisbrow, who was running the Minnesota wild at the time. I remember he called me and he said, boy, you must be really proud to uh, win a championship and share it with your son. He said, that's pretty special. So I always appreciated that, uh, you know, because there's, there's always a nepotism angle uh, to the fact of having your son on the team. But he went on to continue to play for a number of years after that, the United League, the uh, ECHL, and and he played eight years of minor pro and then came home and with the family business, uh, he had worked there in the summers, uh, kind of apprenticing and getting a paycheck. And I said, you must know something about this business. So 
Um, actually, in 2010, he officially took it over, so it's his business, and he's doing quite well. And it's a, a small distribution company in, in the industrial field. It's outstanding. Uh, you mentioned a lot of uh, players from the uh, teams that you coached here in Indianapolis. Many of them are still here in the city and a lot of them giving back to hockey. Obviously, uh, Bernie John and Jan Yas have coached with the Indy Fuel and now are involved in coaching at the uh, at the youth levels uh, coming up through the system and essentially giving back. Jamie Morris has been coaching uh, at a, a number of uh, levels in youth hockey up to junior hockey here. What does that say about the drawing power of Indianapolis and how this is really a great place, not just to play, but also uh, to settle down after uh, you're done playing and, and continue to be a part of the hockey community. Well, you know, the, the best example of that uh, would be my friend, Hugh Harris. And, you know, Huey, he, he uh, was the captain of the racers in the WHA and made Indianapolis his home. And he's a transplant from Toronto, Canada. And uh, had Greek Tony's um, pizza and subs up there and did a lot with youth hockey. And he stayed. And just it, it turned out so many good players stayed in the marketplace, you know, Kenny Block and people of that nature that are still living there. And then, you know, uh, on and on down the road through the ice in the IHL and Indianapolis to me is, is one of the great secrets in America. I tell people I make that kind of my base when I go to the States and I spend as much time there as I can. I've got a lot of friends that I, I met over the years, uh, spend a lot of time in Indy, usually on my way, uh, back to hockey. I'll go into Indy for a couple of weeks at the start and then uh, try to finish off by spending the month of May in Indianapolis and enjoying uh, the Speedway and going to the Indy 500. And that's kind of became a, a tradition for us. My son and his friends really enjoy it. Uh, our buddies with the Columbus Blue Jackets come over and we meet up each year in May, spend a week together and just have a great time. But it kind of all focuses around the raceway and and I can thank uh, Gary Pedigo for that you know Gary um, a tremendous person a great owner he introduced us to racing uh, we won him a hockey championship May of the the first year May of 2000 uh, we were the toast of the town uh, he, he had us out to his suite at the raceway daily and uh, had us in the suite for the um, Indy 500. And I, I met a, a tremendous individual. Uh, I was at the race and um, I, I remember Gary's secretary came to me and, and said, uh, um, coach, Gary wants you to have tickets to the 500. How many do you want? And uh, I said, well, I don't know. And she said like, Gary says you can have as many as you want. <laughs> and I, well, I, I was a little greedy. I said, I'll take four. And she goes, four it is. So a couple of days later, she came by the office and gave me an envelope with four tickets. And I opened it up and they were sweet tickets. And the value was $350 each. And I'm going, wow, <laughs> this is pretty impressive. 
So I got on the phone back home and, and called some friends and said, you got to come down and enjoy this experience. I was just given uh, sweet tickets to the Indy 500. And that day of the race, uh, I was sitting with a gentleman and he had some race gear on and he had a, a couple rings on and they were checkered rings. And I said, can I ask you what the rings are? And he goes, yeah, I won the Indy 500 twice. And I said, what's your name? He said, I'm Roger Ward. And I said, Roger, I'm so pleased to meet you. And he goes, is this your first race coach? And I said, yes, it is. And he goes, well, I want you to sit with me and I'll, I'll point out a lot of things to you. So my, my initial Indy 500 was, was in a suite, um, with a former champ, two-time champ, Roger Ward, and he was a tremendous individual. Yeah, that's uh, that's great, and that's one of the things that obviously, you know, the Speedway helps bring so many people together. And uh, uh, what is a favorite memory, uh, favorite story from your time here in Indianapolis? Uh you know, so many great experiences. Um, uh, getting around the Colts a little bit and seeing their success, you know, when Peyton Manning came in, um, having a bit of a connection there, um, you know, with the Colts, that helped. And we'd go to some games, we'd sit in the suites, uh, you know, was the guest of Jim Hallett a few times. Uh, Jim was a, an owner with Gary, as you know, and he, a tremendous supporter of hockey and just a great person. So he had us out there to see the Colt games. We would uh, get down to see the NBA games at uh, Conseco Fieldhouse. Um, uh, became uh, a bit of a, a friend with the Indianapolis Indians um, with their assistant GM at the time. Uh, Randy Lewandowski, who is now the president, and uh, my meeting with Randy, we used to exchange tickets. The front offices would they'd give us uh, Indian tickets to see baseball, and they would get tickets to see our hockey games. So one day I was at a, uh, an Indians game because I love baseball and I love Victory Field, and I was sitting with this fellow, and it turned out he was an Indianapolis policeman, and uh, he said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Toronto. You know, you always say Toronto, even though Brantford is just down the road. And he said, well, what on earth are you doing here? And I said, well, I'm involved in hockey. And he goes, how are you involved in hockey? And I said, well, I, I coach Indianapolis ice. And he jumped up and left and he said, I'll be right back. And he came back with this tall guy, this Randy Lewandowski and said, I am Randy. I'm with the Indians. He said, uh, we're from Fort Wayne and we're Comet fans. <laughs> and I said, well, too bad for you guys. <laughs> and uh, from that day forward, Randy and I became friends. And uh, every year when I come to India, I saw him in May when I was in town. Uh, I went down to see the Indians play and we had a nice chat. And he introduced me to a couple of his people and uh, uh, had some great stories and I was one of the guys that uh, uh, the first year uh, I was in town, we won the championship, as you know, in May of 2000. And then in the fall, 
they marched to the championship um, and uh, uh, won um, the World Series uh, for AAA baseball out in Vegas. I would have gone, but I couldn't because we started training camp. But uh, I would go to all the games, and I remember sitting there in some nights when it was uh, pretty tough weather, but uh, I enjoyed it and really became a fan of the Indians and uh, got involved in all the sports in town. And uh, I have to mention Butler basketball. Um, they connected me, Ralph Reef with St. Vincent's, you know, just a great supporter of the, of the ice at the time. And uh, he connected me with Thad Mata, who was the head coach of Butler basketball at the time. And, to this day, Thad and I are still buddies, and we have a mutual friend in town, Joe Steiner, and uh, we usually hook up. Um, I usually get to see Thad um, on my travels through town, and he keeps me up to date with his career and what's going on, and he's kind of in a semi-retirement right now. Uh, I think he was waiting for his daughter to graduate uh, high school in Indy before he got back into the game, but I think you'll see Thad kind of back in the NCAA basketball level. Um, but yeah, just think of the great people that I've met along the way. When you're part of a championship team, how much of a bond does that create that just continues throughout the years because you did something special together? You know, all around town, it's it, it, when I walk into a place like St. Elmo's, um, I'm friends with the people down there. The head bartender, Chuck Seipel, he, he'd become a great fan. He was um, a season ticket holder, came to all the games. So when I walk in there, they, hey, coach, how you doing? And um, a number of places like that, you know, Ike and Jonesies, they were great supporters, you know, Ricky Eichels. And uh, too, too many of them to mention, but, um, yeah, it, it it's the recognition because we won a championship, uh, did something for the city, uh, still keep up with Philip B. Wilson. Uh, had a nice, uh, lunch with Philip B. last year. Um, last, uh, a year ago, May and sat down at, um, uh, Shapiro's delicatessen for lunch. He bought me lunch and we talked for three hours. <laughs> it was, I thought it was going to be kind of a short get together, but it, just uh, so much interest in the game of hockey and, uh, you know, the things he does with the speedway and the things he does with the cold. So it was great catching up. So, yeah, I mean, I think the fact that we won uh, really helped continue with, um, you know, the culture around town. And, uh, you know, I'd like to point out that our second year, we probably had a better team. Going into the playoffs as defending champs, we had traded to get Derek Grant, one of the premier players in the league. And unfortunately, when we, we uh, drew Memphis in the first round, they kind of um, did some, uh, some difficult things. They... They threatened his life. His wife was still living down in Memphis at the time. She was pregnant. And they, they kind of feared 
for their life. And uh, Derek wouldn't play in the series. It, it, it became tragic. And then um, our, our top scorer, um, uh, Corbin, ended up with a virus and was in the hospital for a couple of days. So he wasn't operating at full capacity. And we got swept in the first round, and, and the games were one-goal games. But, um, you know, and then Memphis got beat out by Columbus. And I remember Doug Shedden, the coach, because I'm friends with Doug, and he said to me, he says, you know, Rod, uh, our players really let down after they beat you guys, thinking we're the champs now because we beat the best team. He said, we really let down, and uh, we got beat by Columbus. And uh, he said, no fault but our own. But he said uh, it was uh, such an undertaking to beat your team. But uh, we were really without a couple of our best players operating at their top level. And it was a shame. It was a real shame. And Derek Grant never played hockey after that. Um, you know how the word travels. A, a, a player is afraid to go on the ice. And I, I felt bad for him. But uh, I tried to convince him that the team wasn't going to let anything happen, that his teammates were going to back him up, but uh, to no avail. Anything else you'd like to share with our fans and uh, listeners here in Indy? You know, I'd just like to thank everybody in Indy for the support that we had in my time there. And uh, through the years of hockey, you know, I would come back and watch the junior ice and uh, Paul Scott and Charlie, you know, they did a great job in the community, uh, keeping hockey going over the years. And then Jim Hallett picking it up and bringing pro hockey back to town. I say to the fans, it's a great experience. It's great to have hockey. Uh, please get out and support it. And uh, when I come down, it'll be probably late September, early October. I'd like to spend a couple weeks in town and uh, I would each year I would come to Bernie's uh, training camp and, you know, such a relationship with Bernie and with Flinchy, you know, the equipment manager. And uh, I plan on coming down and meeting the new coach. Uh, I, I don't know, Doug. Um, I think he'll be good for the, the city. Um, I've got friends with the Blackhawk organization. I'm close with Al McIsaac over the years. We used to be in, competitors in the ECHL. Uh, when I was in Tallahassee, he was in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, we've kept up a relationship and a uh, good connection for the fuel to be with the Blackhawks. So um, I know I get a little bit lengthy with some of my talks, but, you know, hockey is big. Hockey needs the support and get out and support the fuel. Jim Hallett's a wonderful man. He's doing a great thing for the community. Andrew, you do a great job. Um, the other front office people, I don't know them very well. Uh, I haven't been around them too much. But, um, you know, I wish Jason Berkman would get back into the game. He was uh, really significant in the success of hockey in the town. Thanks a lot for joining us. Thanks, Andrew. All the very best. And that's our conversation with former Indianapolis Ice head coach Rod Davidson on this edition of Under the Hood championship winning coach and you can tell he still maintains a lot of ties to Indianapolis even though he has been involved in hockey in a lot of different areas throughout North America. I hope you enjoyed the conversation as much as you could tell we did having that chat. 
one thing we'll do, especially as we prepare for the 2019-20 season, we'll keep you abreast of what the Indy Fuel are doing, what Coach Doug Christensen is doing, and introduce you to some current and former players for the Fuel, but also tap into our city's hockey history and help reintroduce you to some of the people who have helped build this game here like Rod. And we've got a few more in the pipeline for you as the off season continues and as we get ready for the 2019-20 season. Again, call 317-925-FUEL to reserve your season tickets. Don't miss a minute of the 36 home games for the 2019-20 season as the Fuel begin a new era of hockey in Indianapolis with head coach Doug Christensen and new assistant coach Andy Contois. Looking forward to it. The season is getting ever so closer. Thanks for joining us on this trip under the hood with the Indy Fuel. I am the broadcast voice of the Fuel, Andrew Smith. We'll see you at the rink. Thanks for going under the hood with the Indy Fuel. For more, keep visiting IndyFuelHockey.com.